Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome Steve Judge, international speaker and author to the Focus on Why podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great opportunity to be here to, to speak and to, to share my story and to, to chat and uh, inspire. Well, I think you will be doing exactly that today. So Steve, just for the benefits of everybody who has never heard of you, I'm not sure why they have not heard of you, but let's <laughs> explain what it is you do. So I'm an uh, international motivational speaker, a professional speaker. So my main job is to stand on big stages uh, at conferences in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people, and to inspire, motivate and help them. Now, this could be uh, businesses, it could be schools, hospitals, public sector, private sector. Um, I know we're supposed to have a, a target audience, but mine really is anybody and everybody, anybody who wants motivation, needs inspiration, needs help to, to find out what their goal is, their vision, their dream, their why. Uh, and that's what I do. And I, I share my journey and I, I use parts of it, giving out messages and uh, for them to take on board to adapt and, and use for themselves to, to, so that they can achieve their goals. And you say that your audience is so varied. Why do you think that the audience is so varied? Because everybody's got goals at different times of their lives. You know, kids have got goals just getting through the school day, maybe, or they're the friends. And then as they grow up, they've got GCSEs. Then you go into your 20s and you just start and find work and maybe entrepreneurs. Then you've got people in there in work that are having a bit of a lull, maybe. But then you've got the private side. Of, you know, you've got the, uh, the love life side or, you know, their health or their fitness. So everybody's got goals throughout their life, no matter what they're doing, no matter where they are. And I think my messages, or I know my messages, help people in all aspects of their lives. So because of that, it is so varied. Um, it can help people, uh, salespeople, to get more sales. That could be their goal, to, to get more sales, to get more money so they can take their family on more holidays. Or it just might be people wanting to, to get fitter and faster. It, it just really is a, is a massive spread. And, and that's nice. It's hard because... It means that my target audience is, is very, very varied. So when I'm doing my marketing, I have to you know, try to channel it down a little bit, which can be difficult. But yeah, it really is up for anybody. And I can hear the energy and the passion that you have behind this. I mean, it literally is exploding out of you. Yeah, I find that a lot. It's interesting. I talked to um, one of my friends who's blind uh, on the phone. And obviously, he uses people's voices a lot. And as I was explaining what I was doing, he's, he's saying, wow, Steve, I can hear you smiling so much when you're talking. I can hear the energy. Uh, and a lot of people say that, that you know, once they spend a bit of time with me, they feel uplifted. They feel motivated just from my energy. Um, and I think any, any speaker would say that when they come off the stage, they are drained. They are absolutely, you've given everything, even if it's just for half an hour or an hour, and not everybody realizes this, but when you come off, you're drained because you've given lots of energy. 
but that's great. You know, I love that. If that's going to help other people, I'm quite willing to to drain myself, you know, uh, expend myself so that I can get the, the motivation out there so that I can help people. That's my, my main goal is to help people in whatever way uh, possible. And what do people say to you when you come off stage? Uh, it's very strange because when I get there, um, people don't really know who I am, which is fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, so I mingle in a chat and I find out people's you know, goals and get a little bit of uh, you know, stories here and there. Um, then I, I'm on the stage and people are like, wow, that's amazing. So when I come off the stage, it's a different story altogether. People that wanted to chat with me, they wanted to share their stories with me, they want an autograph, they want a selfie, uh, and all of this. And it's just a, a massive you know, difference from before and after. Um, but people are, are generally also want to come up and say, amazing, Steve, that's really good, a, amazing story, you're an amazing person. And these are, this is all a lovely, positive feeling. But I also asked them back, I said, okay, that's lovely, um, very complimentary. What are you going to do differently? And I think that's the main thing that I want. It's lovely getting all the, the positive feedback, but I really want to help them. So I asked them, what are you going to do differently? And a lot of them say, right, I, I am going to find my, my trainers. I am going to go for a run tomorrow. I am going to write down the things that I really want. I am going to draw a picture about what my vision is, my dream is. They are going to do something. And that's the buzz. That's what I really want people to do is I want to make a difference in people's lives. And if I can do that in half an hour, if I can do that just following this podcast, then that's what I want to do. And that's what I really drive for. And that's, that's my buzz that I get. I think we're so aligned on that mission. It's so true that all I want people to do is take action as a result of hearing this and switching up their lives and making changes if they're not happy, because why, why wouldn't you? This is yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Great. how long have you been speaking? So I've been speaking since, well, Professionally, since uh, 2016, so about four years, I did a little few, I did a few talks before then, maybe to a few groups, maybe a few schools, uh, local stuff. But at, at, in 2016, I made that definitive decision to become a professional speaker. I remember I was working at the time, I was working with the Scout Association in the media team, and that contract came to an end after three years. And they said to me, Steve, you know, what are you going to do now? And I stood there almost like in a, in a Superman pose, just saying, I am going to be a motivational speaker. And they're like, wow, that's amazing, Steve. That's, a, that's cool. How are you going to do that? And I said, I have not a clue. I have no idea how I'm going to be a motivational speaker. But at that, that stage in my life, I'd worked out that if I had something that I really wanted to do, something that gave me such a buzz, uh, really passionate about, I would find a way of doing it. And one of the first things I did was, um, I think I used Google, and I, I found this thing called the PSA, Professional Speaking Association. And I went along to one of the meetings. And uh, it was really amazing. It really opened my eyes. I met some great people there. And there, there I remember them talking to me about, um, if you join, you can enter this competition. I was like, oh, a competition. Because I'm quite competitive, as, as we'll probably find out. But and they told me about this, this, this competition that if you get through to the final, you have to go through the series of them. But if you get through to the final, um, you, you get in front of 300 of the top speakers in the UK in your first year. I said, this is amazing. This is, but it's difficult. You know, you, you've only got five minutes, no PowerPoint. You're going to be judged on your speaking, your hands, your body language, your stage appearance, your stagecraft, props. It, I said, this all sounds an absolute nightmare, but count me in. Because I knew, again, I knew at that stage that you have to go out your comfort zone at some point if you want to achieve your goal. I wanted to be a speaker. 
And I thought, I could almost do this in a year. This sounds great. Uh, so I signed up there and then, that's 2016. Fast forward to today, uh, and I'm now the, the president of the Yorkshire region of the PSA. So I'm really proud, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, 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 the events from, from you know, one level to the next level uh, time and time again. And I love it, because again, it's helping other people. It's helping people like me four years ago, helping people coming into this business of being a speaker, how to become a speaker, what tools you need, uh, and what skills. So again, it's, it's helping them, getting as many people to, to come through the doors as possible. And I, I love that. I think the PSA has been an incredible group for me. I only recently joined this March this year and already have met so many fabulous people. And it's such a great sort of cross section of industries as well. So whereas you can be in your one sort of industry and working really hard and doing really well and getting a name for yourself in that particular field, working with people and meeting people in the PSA opens up your whole... uh, world to the different industries and I love that because you get such a great insight from other people thinking from different perspectives yeah. and that's how a lot of people who are going to come on this podcast that's where I've met them and that's where they you know it's, it's been fantastic I advocate go and meet your PSA your go to your local PSA when we're all allowed out again yeah oh, absolutely and we're doing online meetings now um, and that's you know that's out of my comfort zone and yeah. you know, a couple was it last month? I had to make the decision to to cancel our meeting, our face to face meeting, which is the one thing I did not want to do as president, was cancel meetings. And then within three days, I had to set up an online meeting, and we got twenty six people. And we even got somebody wanting to join the PSA from you know coming to an online meeting, which is incredible. But I what I love a lot about the PSA is you know being as a professional speaker, just speaking. You know, I know I do workshops as well, but it's mainly just speaking. It's a very hard job. And statistically, there's only about 7% of people that actually make it. Okay, the other 93, they, they don't, they've got a, another full-time job, that, which they do and they speak occasionally. Only 7% of people actually make becoming a professional speaker. So when you go along to these meetings, you are mingling with those people. You are mingling with the people that have made it. And that's what you need sometimes. You know, you, you end up being an average of the five people you spend most of your time with. So when you go along to one of these meetings, seeing these people that have made it, you suddenly realise how difficult it's been for them. It's not been easy. I know you shouldn't compare yourself to other people, but sometimes you can't help it. Uh, And I compare myself and I aspire to be like other speakers, but then I find out they've been doing it for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. I think I shouldn't be comparing. You know, I'm comparing my chapter one to their chapter 16. That's not fair, but it's enough for me to, to inspire me to keep going because I want to be like one of them. Uh, if if not now, then no, later on in the future. But by going to these meetings and meeting these people um, really inspires me, which is awesome. So having made that decision back in 2016 after working with the Scouts Association, obviously your life has completely changed and gone on a different course. What were you doing before? Oh, okay. Um, I never know how far to go back on these, but let me go back quite a bit. So when I left school, I had an apprenticeship. I worked down the coal pits of Yorkshire as a mechanical engineer, maintenance fitter. So I was fixing the machines down there, uh, getting them working. Um, and that was hard, you know, not leaning on excuses. I had to make sure that machine got up and working. It was at the coal face. Moving on uh, through my life, I then worked in the laboratory, ended up working in construction. I was a health and safety manager as well as quality. So I was doing, going to site to site, construction sites with a clipboard, walking around, making sure that everything was okay. 
um, helping people. So I was doing lots of that. And, and I think the contrast is very much, especially when I was in construction, when I turned up, you know, health and safety inspector with clipboard, everybody just ran. There were like little rats running away and hiding away. And you couldn't find it. I'd, I'd pick up like a drill that was, you know, you could see it was faulty. I'd say, well, whose is this drill? Is anybody, anybody? Anybody? And nobody would admit that it was theirs. You know, I was, I'd almost say that I was the hated guy. You know, when I turned up, people would just roll their eyes and, oh, no, Steve Judge is here. So, and they couldn't get rid of me fast enough. Now in my job, I love it. You know, because I, I turn up there and people, they greet me with open arms. Steve, you're here. This is fantastic. And, and when I'm trying to leave, people are, I want, like I said, they want a selfie with me. They want to talk to me. They want to share with me. It's a massive change for me and I love it. So I, I did like my job then, um, but I love my job now. And I think this is the thing that, that I've you know, come to terms with. And, and that's what I want for other people. I want them to love their job. And if they don't love their job, well, then you know, maybe they're in the wrong job. Maybe that's something for them to consider because when you have got a job that you love, it is amazing. I'm not saying I jump out of bed every morning, but I do get up at 5.30 because I'm driven because I, there's things I want to achieve. It, you know, it's that feeling of when you go on holiday when it's Christmas Day, you know, you're really excited. I have that. I have that nearly every day and it's awesome feeling and I want other people to have that. And that's where it gets difficult because what drives people to have that? I know they're not the same as me. Everybody's different. So they have to dig down deep and find out what is that thing that will get them out of bed, to get them motivated, to get them inspired, to get them driven. Um, once they find that thing, then, uh, then you're halfway there, I reckon. So when you realise that you could help people, and, and it's such a powerful desire that you have to, to make sure that they've got happiness and fulfilment, yeah. and you want to inspire and motivate people, why, why is it you... you struggle or why do people struggle with not living life like that why do they think that okay is okay um because it's hard <laughs> because because the end result is amazing and it's smiling and it's all lovely but to get there is really hard you know to hand in your notice at work oh my goodness that's, that's the worst thing to do isn't it especially when you've got a mortgage and you've got a wife a kid or partner and kids and stuff so it is the hard thing to do um, if you want to lose weight, you've got to eat less. Oh, it's a nightmare. You know, I'm, I'm losing weight a, a minute at, at the moment. And there's certain things that, I'm, you know, I'm not eating and it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Um, fitness. Goodness me, fitness. You have to get hot and sweaty and out of breath. That's hard work. Everything's hard work. Um, that's why people don't want to do it. But if you can see the end in mind, if you can get that realisation of how you will feel, how you will look at the end of it, that will drive you forward. In this summer, I go swimming in the lakes um, just at the weekend. I'm an open water swimmer. And when my alarm goes off at half six or six o'clock in the morning, um, I'm all nice and cosy. And I don't want to get out of bed and go swimming in a lake because it's a little bit cold. However, I, while I'm lying in the bed, I think about how I will feel when I get out of that lake. I will be smiling, I'll be buzzing and everything like that. So it's about having that. And that gets me out of bed. And that's, that's awesome. It's about having that end in mind. And if people can see that, and I think the coronavirus, this, this situation that we're in now, is, is a prime example where the lockdown, what I did was I, I thought, right, we're locked down for three weeks, maybe six weeks. What, do I, what person do I want to be at the end of this? Um, that's, and I, I started thinking about that person. I thought, oh my gosh, that, that person's awesome. They are fitter, leaner, stronger. Their business has, has grown in a different direction. And that's really good. I want to be that person. That's the first step. Next step is what do I need to do to do that? 
And that's that you think, well, hard work, hard work, more hard work. You think, oh my goodness, I don't know if I, but then you think about, you know, your avatar, that, that perfect scenario, you think, yeah, okay, it's going to be worth it. And that's what I do. That's what I've been doing, you know, every day since the, the lockdown, pushing myself. And I'm feeling better already. Uh, and I know that I've got another like, three weeks to go. So I'm going to be even better than then. So it's going to be really positive. And, and that's what I want other people to do as well and feel that. And have you always felt like this, Dave? Have you always had this clarity of understanding to be sort of leaner, stronger, fitter, better than your better version of yourself? Um, yeah, I think there's always been a little bit in me. I, I believe everybody's got some some kind of oomph inside them that will push them. I've always had this. Let, let's go back to my childhood. I was heavily involved in scouting. Uh, I love scouting for the badges that you've got down your arm, um, with the accolades that you've got. And I used to be that scout that used to take the badge book home. I used to look, look through that badge book, looking to see what badge I wanted next, uh, the hobby badge or the, the fitness badge or the collector's badge. And then I would ask for help from my mum, my dad, the scout leader, of course, and, and they would help me to work towards those goals. And getting those, you know, all like, like a, a medal of honour, like a badge on your arm, you could see how much I'd progressed. And I think there's so many learnings within scouting, whether it's the fun, the challenge, the adventure, or the life skills or the opportunities, but it's also about trying all of those things. You know, in, in badges, you get different levels. I didn't get the top level on all those badges, but I tried it. And I, I might, maybe I didn't enjoy it. And I thought, well, I'll never do that again, but I've done it. And it's just going through that process of grabbing those opportunities. Every badge was an opportunity to me. So that, I think, set a foundation for me of setting goals and working towards them. I, I loved my running when I was a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult. I'd run, I'd set myself um, personal best goals and things like that. I was never in a running club, but I was always pushing myself on 5K runs, 10K runs. So in that sense, I've always had goals and pushed myself towards them because I know how much of a buzz I got from it. Uh, and that's a really nice feeling. Um, and then that's kind of been um, kind of blown, blown up, I guess. I, I've had certain adversities through my life. And I think I've dug down deep into those foundations and I've exaggerated them. And that's helped me to, to realize you know, what's really important. And that's, that's happiness. And it's about what makes you happy. It's as simple as that. What makes you happy? People say money, money makes me happy. Well, great, but what are you going to spend the money on? That's what makes you happy. It might be spending time with people on a holiday or, or buying things so you can enjoy them, but it's not just money in the bank. What is it? Uh, and I think this, this coronavirus situation has, has you know, kind of opened our eyes to a lot of things, you know, hugging, touching, talking, communicating, socialising. Those, those things make us happy because when we don't have them, you know, sometimes we can feel a little bit sad. So... That's come into itself as well about setting those goals. But yes, I think uh, my childhood, I think I've always been set in, in a way, you know, setting goals and working towards them. And you mentioned there that you've had adversities. What, would you, what do you say has been any particular events that have changed the way you are? So I've had, um, I think we've all had adversities in our life. And again, it's very hard to compare to other people. I've been made redundant uh, quite a few times. But my biggest adversity came in 2002. So I was, I was, uh, you know, 2000. I was driving around on the outskirts of Sheffield. There's a bit of rain on the road, and I was going down this one road, and my car skidded. So I wasn't speeding or doing anything wrong. There's nobody else on the road. I lost control, and my car skidded. It, it spiraled and it crashed into a pole. Bent the car in half. Basically, both my legs got crushed. 
Now, I was mercy dashed to the nearest hospital in Sheffield. They um, they dealt with me. They 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 saved my life on the way there. Gave me a blood transfusions and stuff. And they looked at my legs and said, "Okay, Mr. Judge, we're going to see what we can do in the operating theatre. We've got to understand with the severity of your injuries. You know, we, we may even have to amputate your right leg." And with that, they took me into the operating theatre to save my legs. But it, it was more than that. I learned later on that at that time they're actually trying to save my life. I'd lost a lot of blood and, and the trauma and everything. So when I came to, um, you know, I was just thankful that I had two legs at the end of the bed, but looking at the state of them, they were absolutely trashed. And uh, one of them had a big metal cage. It was actually shorter. It was four inches shorter than it originally was uh, because they'd actually taken some bone out of my leg and thrown it away. It was no good. And they'd, they'd shoved my leg together and it was four inches short. Now, it was around this time when the surgeon was doing his rounds and he came over to my bed. He said, Mr. Judge, um, nice to see that you're awake. Um, we were successful in the operation. We managed to save both of your legs. But I've got to tell you, with the severity of your injuries, you may never walk again. And what, I, yeah, what did, you, what did you hear when he said that? Um, so... When he said that to me, I think there's two ways you can take it. When somebody gives you information like that, it's a massive drop in the, you know, mm. drop out of the blue, adversity, and it's like a fight or flight. And I think the flight in that situation could have been, I could have rolled over in bed and gone, okay, I guess I'll, I'll never walk again. Um, that's rubbish. Um, the, the other way, the way I did look at it was I felt something, I felt anger, to be honest, inside me. I felt really angry that somebody had the audacity to tell me that I may never walk again. I'd just seen that I had two legs at the end of the bed. Um, they didn't even know who I was. And he was saying that I might not walk, walk again. To me, it was like a red rag to a bull. To me, it was like he, he was telling me something that I couldn't do. And I felt furious at that. And I wanted to prove him wrong. Uh, and that's how I felt. And I, the, to, that was my goal, I guess, in a way. If we're talking about goals, my why was to, to get out of hospital, to stand again, to walk again. And then comes the hard work. And we've talked about this already. And there was loads and loads of hard work. The, 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 the physio, the rehabilitation. I had to grow my leg back. You know, I had to twist bolts on my, on my cage that extended my leg uh, a millimeter a day. Day after day, I had to stretch it. And once I'd got it stretched the right leg, there was no bone. There was no bone in that gap. I then had to grow bone. I didn't know how you grow bone. <laughs> I've never done this before. I just thought you drank lots of milk or maybe ate lots of cheese. And then I remember the surgeon saying, no, Mr. Judge, no, you don't just drink milk and eat cheese. They told me I've got to stand on my leg. If I stand on my leg, then the bone will grow. And I said, but there's no bone in the leg. He says, yes, but it will grow once you put the weight through it. It was just, it was definitely a mind over matter. Um, but that's what I had to do. Again, the hard work thing. Uh, and, you know, standing up for my wheelchair, putting the weight through my leg, sweating, gritting my teeth doing it for about 10 seconds and then collapsing in the wheelchair again, it was hard, but that's what I needed to do. I needed to push myself through this comfort zone or out of my comfort zone uh, to, to get to, to my goal. And throughout the process, you know, to, to whiz through the, the rehabilitation, which took probably about a year and a half, maybe two years, um, my, my bone, it did grow back through the hard work that I put in. The cage was removed. I was able to stand again and I was able to walk again. And it was amazing. The thing was, I was a very different person to what I was before the accident. So much as running was my, my joy, my, my release, I guess it was, the thing that made me happy, that had gone. 
I couldn't run anymore. Um, I could barely walk. And if I did walk, it was with pain, uh, with crutches and then a walking stick. But uh, my goal had been to get back to normal. That's what I wanted. Out of the wheelchair, no crutches, no cage around my leg. I suddenly realised at this stage that there's no such thing as normal. You know, I was very different to what I was before the accident to what I was now. And this is a big message that I, I pass out to schools or anybody really, is to, you know, stop comparing yourself to other people, to your friends, to your family, to celebrities. Everybody's different. I, and I was very different to what I was before the accident. So I had to start thinking about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do. So much as I couldn't run, I could swim. So I swam. Uh, eventually I got onto a bike, I could cycle, so I cycled. And again, I set myself goals and challenges and pushing myself because I wanted to see what I could do with this new body of mine, with these new legs of mine, which I was frustrated at, you know, but I had to come to the realisation that I could only do a certain amount of things. So I would just do those. Again, think about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do. Um, but I was always looking for new challenges. And I, it was probably a couple of years down the line. By then I, I got married, I'd had two kids. And I still pushed myself physically. I still had this thing that I didn't want the, the accident to have a, a detrimental effect on my life. I almost wanted to prove it wrong. So I was always challenging myself physically. And I was looking for a new challenge. And um, I, to be honest, the thing that sparked this off was a, a photo that I found. And it, a, the photo was of me in uh, my Cub Scout uniform when I was 10 years old. We were, we were talking about scouting earlier. So this Cub Scout uniform uh, photo was me holding a shield. I just got covered the year, which is amazing. And I've got my badges on my arm. And I only had three badges at that stage, but these are the first three badges that I'd ever got in scouting. And those were swimming, cycling, and running. And that just compelled me to, to find a new challenge. And I went onto the internet and I found, the only thing I could find was something called a, a triathlon, swimming, cycling, and running. So I thought, okay, well maybe I could do the swim and the bike. And the run section, I'd walk around with walking poles, and that would be my goal, just to finish, just to finish the triathlon. I could call myself a triathlete or something. That would be amazing. But as I scrolled down the page, there's this thing called a paratriathlon, triathlon for disabled people. And I thought, wow, I wonder, I wonder if I'm disabled. I wonder if I could register as disabled. And I went down there, and, I, and they did lots of tests on me and lots of assessments, uh, asked me lots of questions. And at the end of it, said, Mr. Judge, you are disabled. And I'm like, yes, this is great. This is great news. I'm disabled. I can now enter the, the disabled race. And they said, can you run, Mr. Judge? And I said, not yet. Because I hadn't run for seven and a half years. They had been taken away from me. They had been stolen from me. But now I had a goal. Uh, I'm competitive, like I said. And so I started trying to run again. And I, I, I sounded like a one-legged elephant coming down the road, but I was running. I remember looking down at my feet as my feet were going. And I was like, with the adrenaline and the endorphin release, I was running again. And that made me smile. It was just amazing. It was an amazing time. Um, but after the run, I would be in so much pain because I'm basically trying to get my, my, my legs to do something they don't want to do. The next day, I was in so much pain, I couldn't run. So I thought about what I could do. and I could swim. And the day after that, I was still in pain, so I, I couldn't run, but I could cycle. And the day after that, the pain had gone, so I ran again, because I love to run. And that was my, my training progress, all the way through, leading up to the event. This is in 2009 now, so seven years, seven and a half years after the accident. And uh, going down to the triathlon, a nice local event, even though it's the British Championships, and there's loads of different people in my category. And, you know, we set off and we did the, the swim. I, I whizzed through the race. I thought I could just talk for, for all day about this. But we did the swim. 
uh, first of all. Then we did the cycle. And then we came to the run as a 5K run around the park. And I'm running around. And I knew that my competitors were behind me. And I'm pushing as fast as I can. And my running had, had progressed. I've been like training for five months. But I was also getting a lot of pain and fatigue. And I knew that my competitors were catching me up and I could see the finish line after 1K, 2K, 3K, 4K. I could hear the tannoy system calling me in. And I just like pushed it as much as I, as, as I could. I was exhausted. And as I crossed the finish line, I grabbed on that day the gold medal for my, my category. And it's just an amazing feeling. And seven and a half years after having the accident, seven and a half years after being told that I may never walk again, to get that accolade of becoming not only the champion in my category, but the British champion in, that, in my category to get the gold medal. Uh, just an just incredible moment. I was in tears. Um, I remember um, picking up my son, uh, just hugging him. Uh, just a very special moment for me. Um, but then just briefly would move on from that because one of the officials came over to me and said, Steve, well done, congratulations. Um, you've just become British champion. Would you like to represent Great Britain? And I said, Hell yeah, I'd love to represent Great Britain. And, and that's where it comes onto opportunities. You know, once you start pushing yourself out there, out of your comfort zone, grabbing those opportunities, you'll see other opportunities. You see other things that you can do. And I think that's how I've seen life as well, about standing on a stage and inspiring people and motivating people, relating that to what I've achieved in my athletics as a, as a, as a triathlete, power triathlete. So yeah, it's a, and then went on from there, you know, just representing Great Britain. I think it's incredible and I mean you're just so passionate about it I didn't want to sort of interrupt at all I just wanted you to share your incredible journey from anger to accomplishment from being set having that gauntlet thrown at you by the doctor and seeing you that flicker of of like no no that's not going to happen that's not going to be the way it is to just be able to walk and then to, to go from no walking's not enough I need to run again and yeah. every, but step by step and that took you know as you said seven and a half years of hard hard work and it is a massive accolade it's yeah. incredible but did you stop there no because I've got the bug now and I was like wow look what I can do when I when I put my mind to it when I put my body to it setting the right goal and working towards it I'd, I've just become British champion so I said yes I will represent Great Britain what does that mean now I'm still working at this time I'm still working construction uh, so I'm doing site visits. I'm working you know, full time. I've got a family with two kids, and now I take up power triathlon at an elite level, representing Great Britain, using some of my holidays for training camps or for competition around the world. These were difficult times, very difficult. And I want people. I'm only saying because I want people to realise people get this mindset that oh, it's all right for you, or you're so lucky. Not necessarily me, but other people, people that are successful. And it's not true. You do not know what goes on behind the scenes, behind that, the, the, those closed doors. And these are difficult times. Pushing myself, getting up early, doing a swim early in Sheffield before I went to work. Uh, lunchtime, going for a run in my lunch hour. Uh, going back to work, sat at my desk sweating. You know, from I didn't even have showers at where I worked. So I used to use a bucket and a sponge in the toilet cubicles to sponge myself down. Work throughout the afternoon, get home, play with the kids, put the kids to bed. And then I'd be out on my bike. Now, I'm not saying I did that every single day, but I was always thinking about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do. I had to get my training in as much as possible because I, now I wanted to set new goals. And I set my goals as I wanted to become European champion, which I achieved in 2011. And then I set my goal to become world champion. And that takes us all the way out to Beijing, where I competed against the rest of the world, 
you know, these are amazing power athletes. These are guys that are not leaning on their excuses. They've got missing arms, missing legs. Some of them are visually impaired or completely blind, and they're doing a power triathlon. So to compete against them, to do the swim, the, 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 the bike, and then the run section around the reservoir, out in China, to cross the finish line in 2011, I grabbed the gold medal, representing Great Britain, uh, becoming champion of the world, just an amazing accolade. And to stand on that podium and to, to hear your national anthem played and your flag, your country's flag being hoisted up and everybody in awe of you and clapping and cheering, it's, it's, it makes my heart beat fast now just thinking about it. It's one of the, most, the, the best feelings ever. And I got there because of the, the grit, the determination, but the mindset, the, the goal that I'd set myself and how I worked towards that. Uh, it did not come easy. And I think that's what I want to get the message across. That's why I tell my journey on the, on, on the stage, because it's not just about having the goal and having your why, it's about how you get there. And it is a journey. And there's, yeah, I can give out messages and things like that and mantras, but basically it's down to the, the individual themselves. And for me to achieve that was just an amazing accolade and just, uh, just makes me very happy just when I think back on it. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's incredible what, what you've achieved. And Did you ever go back to the hospital and share your win with them? Uh, yeah. So I did laugh because I, I, sometimes I'd pop back for checkups and stuff. I really wanted to meet my surgeon, uh, my, my, the main surgeon that dealt with me. And I'd already given lots of thank you cards and things like that. But I, I wanted to actually speak to him. Uh, and I had my gold medal and I went back and I wanted to, to meet him. The thing is, he's a surgeon. He's a very busy guy. So every time I'd go there, he was in operation or he was busy. And uh, eventually it got to the point, I think when I got back from Beijing, and I thought, right, I'm, I'm committed. This is my goal. I've got to say thank you to him. I want to have a chat with him. And I went to the, the, the clinic and they said, yeah, he's busy at the moment. He's sorting people. I said, I'll wait. I said, okay. And they said, well, he's going to be a couple of hours. They said, that's fine. I've got a book. I'll wait. And I must have waited about two hours in the waiting room. Eventually had some time. And I went in and I said, look, I just want to say thank you. I just want to tell you what I've achieved since you helped me. Um, and I'm getting quite emotional now because um, it just brings it back about how people help you on your journey. And he said to me, he said, when I was in the hospital, he'd seen something in my eyes. He said that, uh, <clears throat> that I, he could see that I was a fighter and that I wasn't going to give in. But because of that, um, it meant that he and his team could give me more to do, more physio, uh, more rehabilitation, more exercises, because he knew that I was going to do them. I remember at one point I had about 22 different physio exercises and I was still asking for more. I was saying, what more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I do? So because of that, he said it wasn't all, all his doing. It was a bit of mine as well. So I said, okay, we'll agree to agree on, on teamwork. I think that's what it comes with. You, you can ask people for help. I definitely recommend getting a coach on whatever you want to do, whether it's writing a book, learning to play the piano or your business, get a coach or, or fitness, get a coach. But you've still got to do the hard work, you know? And so, again, some people don't realize that. At that time, he was telling me what to do. The physios were telling me what to do, but he could see that I was actually doing it. And because of that, then, you know, we both achieved. So yeah, it was a very special moment um, doing that. And I feel... At that point, I was done. I didn't need to go and chase him anymore. Okay, that's called stalking, I think. So that's why <laughs> I, I let it go from there. But yeah, it was really nice to see him and catch up and, and show him what I'd achieved because of him. 
So, I mean, you, what you've demonstrated to me is that you had those tools very early in life. You, you as a kid growing up, you were building on that mindset, that strength of, of achieving, of desire to achieve. And it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter what it, what you, you just wanted to try new things all the time and having that open mindset, that sort of growth and development sort of urges really has given you the strength when you really needed it most. And, and now, I mean, you've, you've been a survivor of the, of the accident and, and now it working, you're looking at surviving again because in your space of work, it's, it's difficult because you can't stand on the stage right now. No, no, I can't. But it's very much about what my goal is, what my why is, which is kind of what the whole point of this podcast, my why is to, to help people to experience the happiness and fulfillment of achieving their true life goals. So it's about helping them. So how can I help them? Uh, so if I can't stand on the stage, what can I do? I can do something on, on the internet. I can do it online. So I've been, instead of doing my, my ebook, which is all about um, uh, presentation skills, because I want people to, I, I feel that everybody's got a story. And if people want to share that story with others to help other people, then standing on a stage and delivering that is, is a really good way of doing it. But you've got to do it in the right way. And I've learned the, the skills of the trade let's call it. So I'm doing an ebook to help people on that. At the moment, people aren't wanting to be speakers because there's no conferences or anything. So, you know, in a way, I've had to drop that. And that really guts me. That's change. Nobody likes change. Instead, I've moved over to my resilience workshops because that's where people need help. They're going through a change. They're going through adversity. And I can help them to, to come through that. So it's very much that there's a curve. When you hit adversity, you, you hit shock. And then you, you hit the anger of the change and the adversity. You come down, you're in the, that rock bottom stage where you just, I don't know, it could be depression or it could be something just, just sulking. But at that point, you just, you're just drifting along. My workshops bring people out of that. You know, they, they get them to accept or reject where they are. They get them to, to see what they can do, gets them to take action because that's what you need to do to lift yourself up. Once you're lifting up, then you can move on. And what I've realized through my research with my story and other people is not you don't only just raise up you raise up to a higher level to what you were before you can really bounce back in a big way and that's what i want to explain to people and that's what i want to get across to people so work in my resilience workshops is fantastic that's taken some time by the way i'm very impatient i'm an elite athlete i love things i want things to happen now 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 and i know because i'm sensible that things take a long time and it's really annoying but that impatient drives me forward every single day so what am I doing every single day? Every single day, I'm now doing a motivational video. Uh, at seven o'clock, I have my morning routine where I do my reading, I, I do exercises, I do my visualization of my why, my goal. I write down five things I'm going to do that day. I do my words of affirmation. I go down, I do 20 minutes on the rowing machine, and then I do a Facebook Live video at 7 a.m. And that, that goes a, a quote of the day about resilience, about helping people. I obviously throw in a little bit of my story, how it relates to me, but I really want people to key into how it relates to them. How does this quote of the day relate to them? How is it going to help them to get through the situations that they're struggling with at the moment? Uh, once I've done that, I post it everywhere, just in case people are looking. So the videos they post on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter, and it'll be on YouTube. And that's what I'm doing to help people. Then it's back to me about setting up these workshops online. So again, I can help people in a more substantial way. So I'm always thinking about what I can do rather what I can't do. I'm dying to get back on the stage and, and go to a conference, but that's going to be a long way down the line. So it's working out what I can do until then. 
Absolutely. And I mean, the people that you're trying to reach, what would they be saying to themselves right now? What would they be thinking? Who who are the, the people that will most receive what you're saying the best in terms of, you know, are they living a, a, a fulfilled life right now? Or will, will they will they even know that their life is not fulfilled? I think usually it's the question of, you know, how how's things going? It's a nice chat, isn't it? How, how are you today? And people go, oh, it's okay. How's work? Yeah, it's okay. How's your fitness? Yeah, it's okay. Okay is used a lot. And that's, that's okay. That's good, I guess. But I would love them to say, it's fantastic. It's awesome. It's brilliant. It's really good. How's your love life? Oh, it's, it's, it's blushing. It's, it's, it's the best ever. You know, this self-actualization is at a higher level. Um, that's what people are thinking, that their life is okay. I think they're the people, that's my audience that I'm looking for. But anybody who's looking at their life is just okay. Uh, and also people that are, are leaning on excuses. I think there's a lot of people out there that are leaning on a lot of excuses because there's loads of excuses to, 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 to flying around at the moment, especially with the coronavirus. Oh, I can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. And it's very much about whether you're above the line or below the line. What I mean by that is, Below the line might be, you know, you're, you're blaming people or the situation. You're coming up with excuses. You're in denial that, it's, that you can do anything about it. Above the line is the opposite. Uh, it's, it's having accountability. It's taking ownership. It's actually taking responsibility of the situation that you're in. And again, doing something about it. And once people realize that these are excuses that they're leaning on, that I want to help them, I will help them to turn those excuses into challenges because that's what you need to do because to go out your comfort zone to go through that dip yes there will be some tough times it's going to be hard but it will bring you out the other side and it will bring you to a higher plane to self-actualization to fulfillment i think you know that the main goal for most people in life is happiness so what is it that makes you happy it's a simple question just brainstorm that what makes you happy uh, and think about how you can do that okay we can't f- see people face to face but have you zoomed them Maybe have a group Zoom. Maybe just have a chat. Um, I've done a few Zooms with business colleagues, with my family, with my girlfriend, who I'm, you know, she's 45 minutes away, so I'm not seeing her for a while. That's really hard. I've done a Zoom with my friends. uh, And we're going to do more of all of that. Again, thinking what we can do. So my audience is out there. They're they're struggling. They're saying things are okay. They're leaning on excuses. I just want to help them to find out what their goal is, what their why is, and then help them to, to move towards it. Amazing. And I think someone I know very well said to me one day, instead of just saying, how are you? They said, on a scale of one to 10, how are you today? And I think that's <laughs> such a great twist because then you start thinking, well, actually it's probably an eight or maybe an eight and a half. But you know, actually, if you ask that question to someone who's not feeling so great and they reply, probably about two or three you can help them more than if you just said how are you today and they're like yeah I'm okay and then that okay can cover that whole myriad of of scale so actually it's a really good thing to be asking people right now is on a scale of one to ten how are you and uh, yeah I just thought I'd add that bit in it just reminded me of something that uh, a friend said yeah it's good It it seems a bit um structured doesn't it a bit clinical a bit like, oh, why are you asking that? You know, you've got a pen and paper, you're making notes on this. <laughs> I thought you were just saying, how are you today? So, but I like it. And um, it's like I've stopped saying, there's certain things that I don't say. Uh, I don't say the word try. I'm not going to try and do anything. You either do it or you don't do it. Um, don't try and do something. There's no commitment there. Um, 
So that that's one thing. I also uh, I've stopped saying good luck to people. I don't I don't believe that things are just luck. Um, so if somebody's done loads and loads of training for a, a race or an event, and you say good luck, that's a bit demeaning, isn't it? They've just done loads of training. It's not about luck. It's about the hard work they put in. You've done loads of studying for a project at work, and you've got, and you're just about to take it to your boss. And you say, oh, good luck. No, I've just been working like so many hours. What's luck going to do with it? So just be careful when you say good luck because sometimes it can be seen as a a demeaning negative thing rather than a supportive thing. I'm right with you there. When the kids, my daughter's now in her lower sixth, but last year when she was doing her exams, we didn't celebrate the results. We celebrate the effort. So she got an early gifts and and sort of rewards from us for all the effort, the hard work that she put in before she did the exams as opposed to the afterwards. So I'm I'm with you on that one. Perfect. That's really good. And I talk about that in my story as as an elite athlete, the highs and lows that I had and um, yeah, about learning what success really is. And maybe that's another podcast we can do sometime, another chat that we can have sometime because there's there's a deep message there. Definitely. I think we could probably do a whole series together, Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's been amazing having you on today. And I, I know for sure that people are going to take something away from this podcast. And I really hope they do. I, it would be disappointing if they don't think about what they're doing and why they're doing it and change that okay life into an awesome one. Because why wouldn't you live every day like Christmas Day? Why wouldn't you bounce out of bed because you love what you do? So I uh, totally get what you're saying and I don't want it to be a case that someone has to have a near-death experience before they do shake things up uh, I'm not saying that's what's happened to you but <clears throat> but uh, what I feel and what I hear from this is that if you work hard and if you really really want something then you can achieve it no matter yes. what and I think that's just been an incredible message and I really thank you for sharing that with everybody today how can people get in touch with you Steve? Um, so social media is a good way. I'm all over the place. Uh, as Steve Judge, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Um, but I've also got a website. So if they want to log on to the website, there's contact details there. That's www.steve-judge.co.uk. And, and there, you, there's my phone number. Uh, you can text me, WhatsApp me, phone me, uh, or just email me. There's my, my email address there. So there's various ways. There are literally no excuses on contacting me. Well, there you go. You all heard it here. You've, they've got no excuses of not getting in contact with Steve. And I'll put all of those links into the show notes as well. So if you didn't quite catch it, you can just click on the links there. Steve, I'd love you to just leave us with a message, uh, something that you think is important for the audience. Okay. Well, I think we, you know, the, the whole process of the, the podcast or the purpose is, is, is your why. And I think your why is very much your goal, your dream, your vision, uh, and you're working towards that. So find out what that is. Find out what your goal is. Because on your, on your travel, on your journey towards achieving that, there will be times when you feel that you're failing. You've got to understand that there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. There's going to be times when you're struggling to achieve your goal. So don't ever change the goal. Change the plan. Work out what you can do rather than what you can't do. There's going to be barriers in your way as you go along this journey. So you've got to make sure you see those barriers as excuses. You've got to turn those excuses into challenges. But most of all, always always be the best that you can be because if you do that then you'll have no regrets 
Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.